We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode, I speak with Jeremiah Adler, the founder of Upstart Creative Living, a unique co-living community for artists, musicians, and other creatives in Los Angeles. He recently founded Agile Medical Systems, which takes the living pods his company developed for Upstart, and uses them for hospitals and as shelters to address the COVID-19 challenges we face today. Jeremiah has always been an entrepreneur, starting from when he was doing yard work and agricultural work as a teen in Portland, Oregon. After writing and shooting a TV pilot, he moved to Los Angeles to pursue his dream of working in television. He became a leasing agent to make money and soon found himself in the lucrative Los Angeles real estate market. Dissatisfied with having to turn down young creative people because of their incomes and credit, he developed an affordable co-housing community for young creatives, adopting the Japanese-style pods for individual living spaces. He has now redeveloped these pods for use in hospitals to address the challenges of COVID-19 under the new business, Agile Medical Systems. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Agile Medical Systems, and I also advise them. We talk about what makes an entrepreneur different from being self-employed and how being a CEO of a company is much more about telling a story as it is about ensuring its growth and stability. Now, let's get better together. Jeremiah Adler, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jari. Hey, uh, I know you're busy, man, because <laughs> we sort of work together on this one project called Agile Medical Systems, which I happen to have actually put money into because I believe in it so much. Um, and I greatly appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. I, <laughs> I mean, we will we will dig into all of that because it's such a great idea. And I really I actually really admire you for um, taking on this task because what you're trying to do is literally going to be a game changer and help so many people. Um, but before we talk about that, I always like to say um, – I'd give me the nickel tour of how you became an entrepreneur and how you're kind of doing what you're doing. So I didn't realize I, I was an entrepreneur until later in life. And I didn't start calling myself an entrepreneur um, until probably my early thirties. But 
at a certain point, I, I realized that I never had a, a, a real job. Um, you know, my, my parents didn't have money. And so, so I always had to work uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, doing yard work every summer and, and mowing lawns. And, you know, that, that, that sort of in, instilled a work ethic that I, his, his really stuck with me most of my life. Um, you know, just brutal backbreaking work in, in Oregon, uh, blackberries, uh, are everywhere, which are, are delicious if you're, you know, driving down the road and want a free snack. Uh, but when there's a, a giant hill, uh, and, and you need to go clear it of blackberries with a trowel, um, and that takes you two weeks, you know, by the end of those two weeks, your, your body is broken, you're covered in scratches and, you know, making eight bucks an hour when I was 14 years old. Uh, but you know, that, that, that's how I, I bought a drum set. And, um, so, you know, all, all through, you know, high, high school and college, I, I always worked, but never had a boss per se. And, you know, the, the next natural iteration of that was me deciding that I wanted to be a famous writer and director. And um, so, so I, I wrote a dis- TV pilot, despite having no experience whatsoever during my senior year in college, and said, "Hey, I, I, I need to, I need to raise some money to, to do this." You know, of course, I'd never raised capital before, and uh, I, I wrote a laughable business plan. Um, I, I didn't really know any rich people uh, or, or anyone with money. And so um, I, I went back to my high school and, and looked at the, uh, the parent directory that had all the parents' email addresses. And uh, I sent out an email blast saying, hey, I need $10,000 to uh, shoot my pilot. But when I move to Hollywood and sell it to HBO, uh, I'm going to pay you $90,000 back. That seemed like a, a, a fair return for the risk to me. And I blasted that out to about 300 email addresses. And uh, then a very stern gentleman responded and said, uh, do you realize what you just did was illegal? Uh, That was a a public offering. And that's regulated uh, by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, I said, no. So so, so that was my my first uh, failure at raising money. But, uh, you know, as we got closer and closer to the film date. I, you know, I, I hired actors, I hired crew. I, I, I went through all the motions as if we had money. And at the 11th hour, the, the father of uh, my writing partner uh, wrote us a check for four grand. He said, this is all I can afford. Um, go, go do what, what you can do. And, um, you know, I, I was, Stupid in the sense that I I had written a, a pilot, um, you know, it was called Nick Bradley Might Be an Alcoholic, and it, it was based on my own experience in college, um, drinking too much and getting into trouble uh, too many times. And at the, the, the final time, uh, we got blackout drunk with a friend and took a beer bottle and, and threw it uh, through a fraternity window and it smashed. And, uh, you know, got chased by the fraternity and campus police and, uh, you know, was for, you know, woke up the next day not remembering everything, anything and facing being kicked out of college, which was, you know, uh, terrifying. And, um, you know, I immediately went to the campus judicial person who I knew well, begged forgiveness, said, I'm sorry, I screwed up. I'll do anything. And she said, um, you know, okay, you need to, uh, you know, go to a, a third party, you know, drug and alcohol counselor evaluation, because I don't know if this is just stupid college drinking or if you actually have a problem. And um, so, you know, in my personal life, all these questions came out uh, about, well, you know, what is, uh, you know, uh, what what is addiction? You know, if, well, yeah, I, drink most nights in college? Am I addicted or am I I just having fun? And so all of this, um, you know, uh, all these questions were going through my head. um, And I sort of, you know, at the time I called it artistic expression, 
yet in retrospect, it was really entrepreneurial uh, uh, expression because all my anxieties and fears about life and what I was going to do with my future, um, as well as, you know, all these, you know, people saying, you know, are, are you an alcoholic? Are you not? Well, I, you know, I know I, I, I don't think so. I think I just like to have fun. But all of these got wrapped into a script uh, about uh, a young boy named uh, or a young man named Nick Bradley uh, who crashes his car, uh, gets a DUI, and sentenced to 3,000 hours community service uh, the same week that his father abandons his company to move to India and he has to take it over. And so all of these things about my anxiety about having being uh, forced to become an adult um, were expressed in this script. And now I had $4,000 to direct it. And, uh, you know, I'd written in police chases, Lamborghinis, mansions, all these fantasies. <laughs> not cheap. Not um, cheap at all. But but that meant, you know, I, I, I had to be an entrepreneur. I, I needed three mansions in a row uh, to shoot in, um, which, you know, you can say, oh, maybe you can get one mansion. But to get three mansions in a row to agree to let you film in them for free in one continuous shot. But, you know, I just you know, drove to the West Hills in Portland, the, the, the rich neighborhood and knocked on doors and till, you know, two of them agreed. And then I knocked on the third door and there was a younger uh, plastic surgeon, very stern looking, uh, who's clearly in the middle of sex with a, a, a young woman in the background who just peeked his head out. And I was like, hey, my name's Jeremiah. I'm a college student. Can I use your house? And, you know, he immediately said, like, get out of here. Slam the door on me. I literally, you know, I, I, I shoved my hand in the door, wouldn't let him close it. And then, you know, just, I, was, I just begged and begged. And probably, you know, I was like, I, I already have two mansions in a row that have agreed. One of them was Jeanette Hines of the Hines Ketchup Fortune. It was, it was a very, very uh, difficult task. Uh, and the third one, you know, just re refused to hear no. And he, he said yes. And, you know, we needed to do a police chase. Just walked up to random cops on the street, said, you know, hey, can you show up here uh, at midnight? Uh, we've rented a forklift. Uh, you, I, I need you to turn your lights on and chase a naked man on a forklift. And, um, you know, I, I eventually one said yes. And, and that's just Portland, Oregon for you. <laughs> and so, definitely, uh, you know, I, 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 I uh, you know, finished shooting it. I uh, brought it to move to California, uh, edited it. And, you know, within six months, I uh, had a, a lawyer. Uh, a manager, an agent at ICM, and, you know, was pitching to NBC and Comedy Central and Spike. Uh, and, you know, it felt like the gates of, you know, heaven uh, had been open and, and the dreams were coming true. Um, you know, we partnered with Stuber Productions at Universal. Uh, they, you know, said NBC loves it. They're going to buy it. Uh, you know, we're waiting for the, you know, big meeting with all the studio heads. And then two days before the meeting, uh, we see on, you know, deadline.com, uh, a variety type blog that uh, that uh, NBC just used up their development budget for the year, got, you know, the, the, the call and said, well, you know, come back next year, kid. Wow. And um, so so that was, you know, really uh, frustrating, but, you know, opened the doors uh, in Hollywood and, you know, then then raised money for the next pilot based off of that traction. Uh, unfortunately, it, it wasn't as good as the first one. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, the, the, the second one was forced. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a very distinct parallel between, you know, the artistic uh, endeavor and the entrepreneurial endeavor is that for it to be, successful, I, like I, I, I do fundamentally believe it has to be, you know, connected to your, your, your personal experience. And, you know, I, I had this, uh, you know, uh, the, the first one I did was, you know, very, very uh, informed by experience. And the next one was just, just trying to build off the momentum and, and be funny. Uh, and that didn't work. And then I, I did another one and it was better than the second one, but not as good as the first one. And, you know, ultimately, uh, 
you know, there, there was this, you know, the, the pilots that I did open the doors to pitching, but I wasn't good at pitching. Uh, I, you know, I, I wish I would have known you back then. <laughs> Sorry. Appreciate uh, that. Appreciate that. You know, to, to, to get the messaging in, but I couldn't, you know, e- even though the, the, the doors were open incredibly quick, most people wait years to get the types of meetings we were getting. I, I, I couldn't tell uh, a, a good story. And um, then I, you know, sort of trained, I, I got uh, uh, the, the uh, an actor had left town. And so I got a gig um, managing an apartment complex. You, all you have to do is call in maintenance requests and collect the rent once a month. You get a free apartment. Uh, any uh, uh, multifamily over 16 units in California legally has to have one. So it was this, uh, you know, easy thing where I, I didn't have to worry about money much to, you know, scrape by and survive and continue that, you know, creative pursuit. Um, but, you know, call it between, you know, 26 and 30, uh, you know, I, I, I woke up 30 years old and hadn't put pen to paper in, you know, three or four years and this uh, this job at a property management company, just managing the apartment, had shifted into I, you know, now ran a, an apartment leasing operation all over Hollywood. That you know, I literally never intended to start a business. Uh, didn't know anything about business. It just you know went from you know the owner saying, "Hey, we have a spare unit in another building. I'll give you." you know, 250 bucks if you can post it on Craigslist and rent it out and said, Oh, that, that was, that was easy money. And then did that again and again, then reached out to more landlords. And, you know, then 30 years old, uh, I, I had money for the first time, you know, in my life. Uh, you know, when I met my fiance a few years earlier, I had $11 in my bank account and was riding around on a bicycle, but I had a free apartment and, you know, now we went on vacation all the time. We had a, a sailboat, a car. We lived a very fun life, uh, but I, 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 I was miserable and hated what what I was doing. Um, you know, I we got to the point the the, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Um, you know, what is that threshold? I, so, so let me ask you, what is the threshold between self-employed and being an entrepreneur? What, what, what's the difference there? Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things. I mean, all are decently entrepreneurial. If you tend to take the risk to, uh, you know, go out on your own. I think the difference between like self-employed and entrepreneur is that typically entrepreneurial, you're, you're creating something from nothing. Um, and you have to have some faith that it's actually going to work, <laughs> right? And if you're self-employed, it's typically like, okay, this is a job that, you know, I could go get anywhere. It's a known service. People need it. It's usually some sort of arbitrage between it, like like a, a real estate agent, insurance agent, you know, apartment rental, you know, th- those that like people need those things. They'll always be around. Um, you could always get a job with it. Um, but if you're going to create like, you know, Redfin Realty, that's more entrepreneurial because you sort of see this need that's not being met and you have to take faith that it's going to work out because, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's usually the it's the faith gap or the 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 chance that it's going to fail. Because, again, like self-employed, you know, if you're an accountant, uh, lawyer, I mean, you know, you have to hustle for work. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy, but people always need that. But when you invent something, they may not need it. So faith, that is, we, we're very simpatico right yeah, there. Exactly. And that, and, and so, so I struggled for years and in retrospect, like I, I wasted years of my life based on that fear and not having that faith because, you know, earlier on I, I hit the maximum, uh, you know, the, the, the maximum revenue that I could, you know, earn as, as a self-employed person, there, there were no more hours in the day. Right. And this transition from, from, you know, no employees to your first employee, that, that was so terrifying to me because I, I mean, one, no, no experience, no, no, 
you know, business classes, no, no, I, you know, I had, I was commingling everything in my personal bank account. You know, people say, Oh, how much were you earning? And I was like, no, no clue. Every <laughs> single security deposit I took into my personal right. bank account and kept a paper and not even, I, I, I would throw away the ledgers after I'd sent the money out. So, you know, I, I didn't know how to do any of this. And the idea of bringing on another person to, and me having to financially support them and myself and hope that it worked out, it, it took me years to do it. And, and on, I can, honestly, I can't even fairly say that I ever did it. I, I, I took sort of the, the wimpy way out, which was, you know, I, I had a, a girlfriend at the time and I asked her uh, to move in with me and become my, my first employee uh, because that was a way of de-risking. It, it, it's not the, the brave story of, oh, I was so courageous. <laughs> but I, And so, you know, now if for I you, ever write a book. For you, I was it was like, courageous. For you, it was you courageous. You know, find, uh, you know, I, I, I've been very entrepreneurial with, with my partner. And the moments that, uh, the, the moment that she came in and took over the apartment leasing business, then we immediately hired someone else this was when the entrepreneurial aha moment. I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur, but all of the the, the day to day, you know, tasks that were just polluting uh, my brain, that pollute our brains as entrepreneurs, all of those were gone, and there was just this room for for new ideas. And the the, the first realization was why the hell am I trying to build an apartment leasing business? Like I, I, I already am miss, I'm already only living for the weekends right now. I, I, I hate what we're doing. It's so non-spent spectacular, not disruptive, you know, best case scenario in a few years, my, I get my picture on a, a bus stop and, you know, for <laughs> each apartments and homes is what we were talking. And so, you know, there, there was this immediate anxiety of, okay, now I've taken the leap, but I don't give a shit about this product. It's, you know, I, I, I'm trying to build a business based on being a middleman, it, inserting ourselves in between transactions, which, you know, nothing against realtors, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, like the, what what is the like uh, technology can replace that and will replace that and i was trying to to build this in a, a dying field and again it came back to you know what was uh you know the the my, my personal experience and every step in the entrepreneurial journey has always been you know based on that personal experience and well you know i i i i wasn't any more recently uh, you know, in trouble for getting drunk and, you know, breaking a fraternity window. Um, but I did have all these thoughts and feelings about what it was like being a young person in an expensive city alone, pursuing uh, my dreams in the most competitive industry in the entire world. And um, I thought, you know, what would have empowered my success? Well, you know, community, you know, despite being in LA for years at that point, I didn't really have any close friends. Um, I, I, I didn't uh, have any serious collaborators. And I thought back to all the best living experiences of my life. And they were either uh, a college dorm where I was sharing a room with, with people, or, or it was summer camp where I was sharing a room with 12 people. And, you know, there was always just this magnetic energy to, you know, being around other young people that were, were like you. And I knew that, um, you know, from the apartment business, you know, every single day we were rejecting, uh, you know, other, you know, young, creative, ambitious people that were trying to come pursue their dreams. And we would reject them because they didn't have a FICO score. They didn't have enough savings. They didn't have a job. And we got paid our commission based on how much we could rent the apartment for. So, you know, literally now my business was about, you know, trying to jack up prices for landlords in LA, make the city less affordable and accessible for the young people coming to pursue their dreams. And so, you know, there's this whole 
you know, spiral of, you know, depression. I hate this other business. What can I do? And, and that's how Upstart started. Um, and I, I will tell you the, the eloquent uh, uh, summary of what Upstart is. Uh, I did not have the eloquent summary then, but thank you for helping me get there, which is, um, you know, we empower young people to invest their time and money in themselves rather than their rents. And we do that by uh, building hyper-affordable co-living communities, uh, pod-based co-living communities that are built around shared purpose. And ultimately, we want to empower young people to move to any city in the world uh, with a thousand bucks in their pocket. Um, so, you know, I, again, I was at the point where I, I just lost my entire uh, life savings uh, of, I think, was $20,000. Uh, I, I purchased, uh, I, I put all my savings in a Bitcoin uh, because the price was going up and down so fast. Right, right. And, you know, it was great for a few days because you buy low and it's like, oh, I made a thousand bucks today, a thousand bucks today. And, um, you know, this was when it was nutty and new. Uh, and then, of course, it crashed uh, and, and, and didn't come up for a very long time. Had I held on to it, it would be worth uh, 1.8 million dollars today. The last time I checked, so uh, oh, that's, a crappy. that's a tough but, one. That's a tough one. I I sold it all for somewhere around four thousand dollars, and um, you know needed. Uh, I, I I I I needed, as I estimated it, uh, another sixty thousand dollars to to start up, start to to get a property, to furnish it. Um, and you know, the, the idea was we would curate, you know, we, we put bunk beds in, we'd curate a community, uh, you know, where people paid, you know, five, 600 bucks a month. And, um, you know, I, it, it would be exclusively young artists around you. Um, again, asked everyone I knew with, you know, more than a thousand bucks in their bank account, if they would invest in my idea, everybody said no. They said, are you crazy? People don't want to, you know, live in the same room together. I was like, I, what about all the people coming out of college that, you know, can't afford to move to the city? It seemed intuitive to me, um, but, you know, not to other people. I, I wrote up a business plan. I, uh, I, I, I sent it to my cousins who their mother had just died and left them a, a few hundred grand. I said, we take this, give me an answer in a week. And within that week, my fiance and I talked and, you know, realized that, look, if this works, um, you know, we would like to, you know, have the, the whole company to ourselves. If it doesn't, it's going to feel really shitty losing our family's, you know, uh, modest inheritance. And so um, I just said, screw it. And we both uh, started applying for every credit card we could until banks started denying us because they assumed there was fraud. And, you know, we, together with both of our FICOs got about, I, I think about uh, 90,000 in credit that we could use. And we started it uh, on, on credit cards and, and signed the lease. And uh, with that cash I got from selling the Bitcoin in uh, uh, a little other money we had, I spent every dollar we had in cash um, on two months security deposit and two months rent up front. So that mean, meant that I had two months to get the property to break even before going bankrupt. We maxed out the credit cards and, you know, put, I, you know, we, I couldn't afford any labor, um, you know, and it was, you know, an old property that was renovated. So, you know, from crawling around in the, you know, uh, under the building, you know, through leaky, you know, sewage, trying to find where this foul smell was coming from. It was, you know, back to that back-breaking work from high school, clearing blackberries. <laughs> um, you know, trying to you know build this place where where people would want to live. And um, you know, within uh, you know two weeks uh, before we opened, August first, two thousand sixteen, we were entirely booked up with with you know more applications than we could count. And you know, I I, I took you know very careful. Um, you know, diligence in curating every single person, going through their social media, their art. And, um, you know, the first day that we opened, I mean, it, it was magical. It, it was like the first day of summer camp, people coming from all over the 
the country wow. meeting each other. Um, you know, oh my, you're a musician. I'm a musician. Oh my God, we should collaborate. Wait, you have a new single. You want me to direct your, uh, your, your music video. And, you know, there was just this, you know, magnetic excitement. Um, and, you know, I, again, I, you know, I didn't have this big vision up front. You know, I was only focused on, on one property, which was, you know, great. If we get this one property open, it should spit off about, you know, 120 grand in passive income. And, um, you know, that, that, that's a, a, a lot of days on, on the sailboat, uh, with, <laughs> with, with a lot of Coronas. Yeah, true. Uh, how many, so, how many people were in that first building? 28. 28. Wow. 28. Wow. And, um, you know, at that point, you know, so, so we were open for a week and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you've, every entrepreneur has experienced this, which is, um, you know, like, like now what? So, okay, now we're open. Now we're, we're, we're profitable. Now, now we're spitting off money. Like, okay, I achieved this. Like, what, what can we do next. And, you know, other than a place to live, it, I didn't have this, you know, grand vision that we were going to be providing you a life rather than just a place to live. But, um, you know, I, I was just bored. And I said, you know, I, I grew up in Oregon, rock climbing, canyoneering. So I said, you know what, screw it. Instead of, you know, uh, buying Coronas with this beer, I'm going to go to REI and get 12 helmets and harnesses and ropes and uh, we're going to take everyone canyoneering, rappelling off 90 foot cliffs in the house and, you know, no insurance, no nothing. I'm the last person I can, you know, barely even, re- it's been 10 years since I've, you know, tied a figure eight uh, loop knot. Um, but, you know, like th- that was the first upstart activity. And then, you know, the next week, you know, he said to Sarah, well, why are we going to go, you know, sailing? We, we don't even have that many friends. And, let's rent a bigger sailboat and take everyone sailing. And so upstart activities were born. And then, you know, the, the, uh, you know, big fancy desktop I had in my computer, I said, I don't really need that. Why don't we get some music equipment and, you know, build a recording studio in the closet and, uh, you know, uh, organically just out of the, the fun and excitements, um, you know, uh, upstart grew. And then, um, you know, uh, a developer approached us about the, the the next property, and you know that would be twice the size. And we'd put in hot tubs and saunas, and um, you know, over the next four years, it went from you know bunk beds to you know great. We're you know custom designing these co living pods, and in the matter of four years, you know, took this crazy you know concept of. Japanese sleeping pods. And, um, you know, we added, you know, photo studios, theaters, stages, gyms, dance studios across eight locations and, and 400 beds. And, you know, now it, it slowly started to be legitimized from, well, what if the city comes and shuts us down? Did you ask permission to do this? No. Well, we've talked to building and safety. They said, what are you talking about? There's no code that comprehends this. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, ultimately what, you know, can make entrepreneurs dangerous, you know, what, whether that's their stupidity or they're, they're just not caring. Like, like I didn't have anything to lose. And so this new form of, you know, uh, real estate arbitrage, which isn't anything new. I, I mean, all real estate ever is, is taking, you know, what one parcel of one size and subdividing it uh, into smaller pieces and selling the, each piece at a, a slight increase. That's all we were doing. It We were just taking it to another level that nobody had ever, you know, no established player had ever considered because it just sounded so crazy. Like who the <laughs> fuck would want us to, sorry, you know, who, who would, yeah, who, would who would sleep in a pod? Yeah. Um, and you know, that that's, sometimes you have to be, you know, more closely connected to what it's like being, you know, 22 and broke to create something that a broke 22 year old, um, would, would, would want. 
Um, and so that I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been go, going on for long and long, but uh, that's uh, you know how how we you know got to the point where where you and I met uh, yes. for the first time and yes. started working on our our messaging is you know we we're thinking we we're going to raise ten million bucks and start to scale to other cities uh, right right before coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the best. Uh... Less plans of mice and men sometimes <laughs> they don't get go according to plan. But what what's really great about and I'm, I really appreciate you telling that whole thing because um, there's just a lot of great lessons there for entrepreneurs. I mean, clearly, like you you hustle pretty hard and make stuff happen. And the thing that's really great about what you're doing now with Agile Medical Systems is how all that experience. And all the pain and suffering and fun and really how it all came together to help others really in this great time of need and as well as after this great time of need. And so that's what, I mean, that's what really made it exciting when you, I don't even remember how we, how you connect, we got connected on this thing. I think someone sent out a, an email to Founders Network saying, Hey, Jeremiah needs some help. Can anyone help him? And I'm like, Oh yeah, let me check this out. So tell, tell me a little bit about Agile Medical Systems. Cause I mean, it's evolved over the last, has it been like only like two months, three months or so? Yeah, I mean, we're it, it's under three months. It, 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 it's nuts, um, and so 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 yeah. And look, you know, one thing always plays right into the next thing. And, and look, this is what I, I love about you know being an entrepreneur. Like, it's not like you get to be an entrepreneur. Like, I, it, it's you 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 have to be that. Yeah. And so you, you know, as that. we you know, we're starting to you know have these productive VC meetings, you know, you know, it, you know, going, you know, we're, uh, I, I forget who, uh, founder suite, you know, we, we just loaded up our, you know, VC CRM software. Um, you know, it, it just, honestly, it took six months to feel, you know, finally feel like I had a handle on the, the process, um, uh, of what it would be like to raise money. And uh, nobody teaches you this, Jari. It's so irritating. <laughs> yeah, I know. I it's hard. Nothing it's hard. important in college at, at all. Like, <laughs> like what people say, like, oh, what do you what do you need? I see introductions to VCs. I like I thought that was an answer. Now I understand it's like that, that that's not it's that that means no one can do anything with that information when you say I need introductions to VCs. Right. Um, when you actually start to look into the process, well, wait, what what kind of VCs? Like, you know, the, and then I start doing research and, oh, like at least 90 or 95 percent of venture capital firms, you know, I, we would, would never look at us. We, we, we don't fit anywhere within their portfolio or their investment theses. And, um, you know, I, it, 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 it's just this this different beast and process. And so. Again, finally feeling confident with the process that was beginning um, and, and the pandemic breaks out, um, which is, you know, uh, we, you know, our, our numbers were great pre-pandemic at Upstart. You know, we're, we're doing, um, you know, about 250000 a month in revenue. Then the stay-at-home order hits. Uh, uh, you know, essentially 100% of our members lose their jobs. Uh, they, they're already close to the poverty line intentionally so they can pursue their careers. They're paying 700 bucks a month in rent. And so, uh, you know, we immediately, are, like, you know, expect to do very poorly in terms of rent collection. The people that can afford to go home back across the country to live with their parents. And then Garcetti, Mayor Garcetti, or I, I don't, I forget if it's statewide, says, you know, we're we're stopping evictions right now. So um, we are left with a, you know, eight locations, four hundred beds of people that have lost their jobs, don't have savings, and there are no consequences for not paying your rent. Um, you know, the now the way that. I grew the company mostly out of ignorance, um, you know, and now I see our competitors that have, you know, come into the market in the past eight months, they get, you know, one property operating for six months, show the unit economics and then raise money to base, you know, scale based on that model. I didn't understand any of this. And so 
you know, four years in, we, we haven't really had a capital raise and we've grown with debt, um, you know, that's progressively worse and worse. And so, you know, despite being a, uh, even a positive company, we were essentially cash flow neutral uh, with all of our debt payments. And so, you know, when all of your members stop paying you, that's really frustrating. So, you know, on the upstart front, you know, okay, there's nothing productive we can do in terms of fundraising. Operationally, it's, you know, contract and wait, you know, let lay off, you know, cleaning staff, hire the people in your facilities that can't pay you to be the cleaners. And there was just for lack of, there just wasn't really anything to do with upstart. And so, you know, boredom just had like, <laughs> what, what, so what recurring, am I gonna do? recurring theme with you? <laughs> now, yeah. And so, uh, you know, uh, a doctor, my a sort of, you know, uh, uncle who, you know, didn't really have a, a strong relationship with, but, but has really grown since then, um, you know, reaches out and says, you know, hey, there's a, a big crunch on the hospital systems. Um, you know, could your pods uh, potentially help with that? And, you know, I initially said, now look, you know, these pods are awkward and clunky. They're for dexterous 19 year olds, not for the elderly, the the sick or the weak. Um, But, you know, woke up in the middle of the night, put a put the inventor cap on (laughs) and, uh, you know, made 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 some napkin drawings. And, you know, within a, a matter of, you know, days and weeks, you know, raising money had, you know, prototypes being built. And, you know, this whole thing, you know, I brought on, you know, the biggest lobbying firm in California as a partner. And um, so I'm sorry. So so the products, you know, today is, you know, a a negative pressure uh, isolation pod that protects caregivers from uh, infection. And what what negative pressure is, um, you know, they're very, it's very important in hospitals, because if you have infected patients, you want to contain that infection. And so instead of a traditional HVAC system blowing air in, this sucks it out. And so, you know, if you imagine a hospital room where the HVAC is blowing air in, well, every time you open the door, the gaps under the doors, although that contaminated COVID air is blowing into the rest of the hospital, but if you suck that air, now your you know clean air in the hallways is going in, and then you're you're filtering and exhausting that air. Um, unfortunately, you know that's uh, you know has to be built into the uh, infrastructure of the building. Uh, in, in about half of hospitals, less than four percent of rooms have negative pressure capacity, and so um, you know as a result, a lot of healthcare workers have been getting sick. And, you know, economically, it's taken a huge, huge toll on hospitals, which are, you know, laying off their their staffs because they can't do elective procedures. And so, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we're creating a device, um, you know, long term for, I don't can't say post pandemic world, but an enduring pandemic world where, um, you know, things have just changed. Um, where, you know, we, we need to do a better job of, you know, protecting, you know, doctors and, and nurses and find a way within the existing infrastructure of hospitals that they can, you know, uh, at the same time treat, you know, infectious patients, whether it's COVID or, or, or measles or, or, or anything to that effect, um, but, but also maintain, you know, a semblance of normal operations and elective procedures such as hip replace. I mean, you know, our, our, uh, how elective of a procedure is that really? Yeah, no, really. Or a heart transplant, yeah. how, how elective is that? And if it's not, how do you feel about going into a hospital? And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of have, you know, multiple product lines, but it's all centered around, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, pods that either, you know, shelter or protect. And so, oh, th- th- this will be fun, Jari. So I've been, as the product line expands, I've been trying to figure out something cohesive that, you know, holds the narrative of everything we're doing together. And I came up with two things. I I want your feedback live on this. One is uh, uh, small solutions that solve big problems. And the other are pods that that shelter and protect. Any any thoughts on either of those? I mean, they're, they're both really good because obviously it's, 
does exactly what you know you want them to do in terms of like really simple on this is what we do um i think that they're they're both really good i like the whole shelter and protect um you know me i like triples <laughs> so uh you know i I'd, I'd rather have it more like you know shelter protect and you know thrive or whatever something where it's it's more hits hits a more of an emotional appeal cuz for me you know every business every entrepreneur needs to hit that emotional appeal with the customer or the user and i think one of the ones that uh that that i really like about what what you know agile medical systems is doing not only for patients but also for these temporary shelter pods for the homeless is the dignity aspect of what you're trying to do. Um, there's just more dignity in having your own space. Um, if you look at some of these things that we've all seen and, you know, you, you've been really you know good about sharing that sort of stuff. You know, if you're a, at a cot in the middle of a huge, massive warehouse, there's, there's not a lot of dignity in that. So, or sleeping on the side of the road, there's no dignity. So I, I really think that you also, this provides dignity and dignity is a big thing, especially when you're not feeling well and you're sick or you're down on your luck. Um, having some dignity and having a f- space of your own um, matters. And I mean, that's the reason why I obviously, you know, love what you do and put 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 money in, not a ton of money, <laughs> but a little bit. Um, and obviously continue to help help with you guys trying to figure this out. But yeah, I I like it. Shelter and protect is good. Um, some something else that has something to do with dignity or hits the emotional heartstrings, um, because it is an emotional thing. It really is. So, so, so let me ask you because I, I, I and I, I I don't say this to be flattering, but you know, our from from that the the first times we we've spoken in the the workshop, it, you know, has just been so transformative for me. Um, on, on, on many levels. And, and it came in a very, the, the, the right time in, in my entrepreneurial journey, which was, you know, we, we talk about the shift from, uh, you know, uh, to self-employed to entrepreneur, but then there's another shift too. I don't know if I want to call it from entrepreneur to CEO, but, but maybe boss to CEO. And a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, never do that. Um, So I'm part of two organizations. We're we're in Founders Network together, but Entrepreneurs Organization as well, EO. Um, And and many, you know, lifestyle companies there where, you know, they're generating millions of dollars in revenue every year, but no real, you know, plans for for scale. And, um, you know, it it was sort of a a one-two punch with you. You know, we we brought in a, a, a chief operating officer who was experienced um, and, uh, he was previously a CMO and he really pushed me to shift my role from boss to CEO, which is, you know, uh, again, okay, everything you're doing today, toss that down to me, everything that's polluting your brain, right? Like what, what, what is the job of the, the, the CEO? Well, it's, it's to set the vision and communicate that vision mm-hmm. and that, that that's to public to your customers, to your employees, to your I- investors, to the, the the press and the media, but so many like th- like that's the most important thing. Whether it, it, it it's raising money, I like like it's this vision and communication, which I feel like I ninety percent of entrepreneurs look. I mean, I I overlooked it for the overwhelming majority of my entrepreneurial career. And, and th- th- this is all you deal in. And so why, wh- wh- what's that disconnect? Why, why isn't that, wh- wh- why don't more entrepreneurs and CEOs understand that and, and embrace that? Um, it's, it's a lot harder to do. And the tangible results don't come quickly. So if you have an engineering mindset, as an example, like I, I was trained as an engineer. So I have an electrical engineering degree. I can build stuff. I've done... I don't know. I've got over 10 patents. I create, I mean, I used to create stuff all the time. And the hardest part is the communication leadership. It's actually leadership and event, you being an evangelist. So you're like the chief evangelist officer, as someone put it, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
the problem with that is that the results of all those efforts are hard to quantify. As an engineer, as a creator, writing code, releasing things, building stuff, drawings, I mean, all very quantifiable, all very good. I mean, even some of the marketing and PR metrics nowadays are pretty much you can kind of like put the metrics that matter and like drive towards a metric. You know, you can buy a bunch of stuff, buy a bunch of ads on Facebook or Google and you can, you know, the model, it, it I wouldn't say it's operationalized to the fact where you don't have to have good creative um, because you do. Part of the message of any company, the reason why a company wins or an organization wins is they just tell a better story than the next person. And that chief storytelling officer is the CEO. It has to be because who is the only one that's got all the thing in their head? I mean, typically the CEO is the one that knows what's going on. So um, the the challenge is, is that's a hard, non-metricifiable thing. It's so nebulous. Like, where do you spend your time? Do you spend your time crafting the message to your employees? Do you spend time going to raise money? The only quantifiable thing is like for a CEO to do is raise money. But still, it, it, it's you don't know, like you said, you don't know, like, I need introductions. Who do I really need to talk to? I mean, it's a nebulous thing. So most entrepreneurs are not comfortable with being uncomfortable about their job is not really measurable. I mean, it's measurable in the sense that they need sales and grow, grow revenue. But if you've got CMOs, COOs, if you've got smart people below you, which everyone should, um, they'll take care of all that. So now what do you do? Like, you know, most of your job's sitting around waiting for a crisis to happen or thinking about the future. I, it's, and that's a hard thing to swallow because you're not doing, like, what are you doing? You know, what are you, what are you really doing? And so the entrepreneurs that figure out kind of from the operator to boss, to leader, to evan, you know, evangelist, like, or to train, it's almost transcendence. Like if you were to look at like the hierarchy of needs, like it's sort of like, Hey, you know, I've operationalized this thing. Now I want to actualize myself. Now I need to transcend myself. I mean, that's why you see a lot of really good CEOs um, they spend a lot of time communicating. They spend a lot of time thinking. They spend a lot of time throwing ideas out there. Um, they, of course, have to look at the day-to-day, but, you know, the day-to-day doesn't change very much, except, you know, in a catastrophic thing like natural disaster or pandemic. And then, of course, they got to jump in and be like, okay, how are we going to, you know, get through it? But they're really leading the future. Like, their job's the future. That's a hard thing for people to swallow if they're used to operating, if they're used to doing things. And so once you've made that transition, it's hard to go back to being like an operator. And when I say operator, I'm not like most CEOs are operators. But what I'm saying is, you know, the day-to-day kind of spreadsheety thing. That's that's why a lot of the ones have COOs or you know all these other ancillary things. When you first start out as the CEO, you're everything. You have to be. And the transition's hard because how do you how do you know what, what if you're doing good other than, of course, sales or raising money? But if you've done that, it's like, now what? <laughs> well, your job's to figure out the future. Actually, your job is to be five or six steps ahead of your team to figure out what's going to get in their way. I mean, you're literally like removing roadblocks. A good CEOs remove roadblocks. They get their they get the things. The man money materials or women money materials to the people that need it the most, and then they get out of their way. They just like, okay, go figure it out, right? Um, and it's a hard transition to do. So, you know, I mean, what what's interesting about what you guys are doing at Agile Medical Systems is, I mean, within a couple of months, you've created an entirely new company, literally from scratch, based on all of the knowledge that you had doing this thing that you would think would never matter <laughs> for medical, like pod, <laughs> pod communities for, you know, starving artists. It's like, it just blew my mind when, when you did it. And the reason it's just such a mind blowing thing is you tapped into what this, what a creative CEO needs to do. Like what's the future? That's, that's your job. Figure out the future and keep the lights on. <laughs> But majority of your time should be what's the future look like? So, oh, oh yeah, and you know, I, that 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 entrepreneurial journey 
mean, it's it's transformative in in, in so many ways. Um, I, I, I before we jump on, but the 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 best lesson or, or quote, and I wish I could uh, uh, say say it was my own, um, but it, it was some uh, advice from a, a mentor. Um, you know uh, about. Uh, uh, the three-year mark and upstart. Um, you know, we nearly lost the company in a, a hostile takeover attempt. Um, of I, I'm trying to figure out how I can say stuff without violating settlement agreements. But um, the you know a, 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 a seed stage investor um, tried some you know Facebook type of stuff where the uh, you know founders were going to dilute down to. Eight percent, and there was additional leverage because they owned the real estate, and you know it was a a brutal uh, you know uh, fight for six months every day, uh, you know not sleeping, feeling like we could lose everything, which which, which terrified me so much because I I, I was one hundred percent the point of like I I have no idea who I am. Uh, if if I lose upstart or, or if that doesn't exist so much, uh, not so much, all of my identity is tied up in this business and the achievement that that's been. And uh, a, a mentor who had been through a similar fight earlier, uh, you know, with, with, with his partners and, and he lost his he, he lost his business. Um, he, he, he didn't have a, a great lawyer like like we did. Um, he, he said, you know, I, when, when I lost the business, um, you know, I didn't know who I was, but then I realized that I'm not my business. What I am is an entrepreneur. And I, it, 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 as soon as I like that, that is the most empowering mm-hmm. statements uh, I, I, I've ever heard because I, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's so true. Like our, our businesses can succeed, they can fail. They can, you know, be taken from us by by boards. We can we can sell them, but it's that you know it's that napkin drawing at uh, at two a.m. that you know it's great. We can, you know pandemic hits. Hell yes, you know I didn't get out of my pajamas and drank too much for a week straight, um, but but then. I, again, I, you're, you're not your business. You're, you're, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Why, why do you do it? Cause there, there's nothing else, you know, you can do Like I, I, I haven't, you know, I, I've taken one and a half days off, uh, in, in the past three months and I'm, I'm happier than, than I've ever been right now. Um, wow. um, you know, this is, this is what we do, Matt. Yeah, no. And uh, that's a, that's a great place to end because, uh, it's, so who we are and i really appreciate your time and of course we'll continue to work on agile medical systems together and make it wildly successful you heard it here first folks uh be safe be in touch and thanks again for your time well we'll talk soon bud thanks for listening to the entrepreneur ethos podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode as much as i did creating it my hope is that you learn something that can make you a little bit better If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. 
Visit MinuteClinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com